From the Aspen Institute, I'm Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. Housing is the largest household expense for the majority of Americans. And as a result, it's a critical threat to the financial security of families and individuals across the country. One in three families is living in a household that they cannot afford. Paying too much for housing leaves families and individuals unable to cope with unexpected expenses. And for a household to make ends meet, they need to have enough income remaining to cover other basics like childcare, transportation, and food. Add a pandemic and mass unemployment on top of everything, and the situation can turn catastrophic. Because of expiring eviction moratoriums across the country, 30 to 40 million renters are at risk for eviction in the coming months. Eviction moratoriums vary state by state. The Aspen Financial Security Program and their partners released a report revealing these shocking eviction findings. The United States may be facing the most severe housing crisis in its history. Catherine Lucas McKay, a senior program manager with the Aspen Financial Security Program, explains why moratoriums are essential during a pandemic. Moratoriums are a public health measure more than anything else. They're there to make sure that people do not lose their housing during a pandemic, putting themselves at greater risk of uh, contracting COVID-19 and putting their communities at greater risk. It is a band-aid in terms of keeping people housed in a longer term way. From the moment an eviction happens, the trickle-down effect it has can follow an individual or a family for the rest of their lives. It is really one of the most harmful things that a person can experience um, because it is both incredibly costly, starting from a point where usually eviction is happening because of your financial situation, um, and it, it contributes a level of instability and stress to your life that can have years-long effects. I asked Catherine Lucas McKay about the most shocking findings of this new data. The most shocking thing is the scale of the problem. I was not expecting it to almost double uh, the estimate of the number of people living in renter households who are at risk of eviction by the end of the year. That's shocking. What sort of trickle down effect does being evicted have on an individual? For adults, it becomes harder to maintain employment Um, usually the next place you end up being able to secure a lease is housing of last resort because most landlords will not offer a lease to someone with an eviction record. It's really hard on people's mental health. And increasingly, one of the things that we're learning is that it can have long-term effects on people's physical health. This is especially true for kids. Um, The damage to children of going through housing insecurity, eviction, homelessness is hard to understate. Um, It affects their ability to develop socially, cognitively, their performance in school, their attendance in school, eventually their graduation from school, um, which then has knock-on effects around their earnings and their opportunities in life essentially forever. Um, And both the mental and physical health challenges that can come out of that level of stress for a kid are significant. In terms of moratoriums, I know that the vast majority of states lack the protection that renters need. Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and what policies or ideas you see coming out of this that will that you think will work. Sure. So, I mean, the first thing to say is that 
Moratoriums are a public health measure more than anything else. They are there to make sure that people do not lose their housing during a pandemic, putting themselves at greater risk of uh, contracting COVID-19 and putting their communities at greater risk. It is a band-aid in terms of keeping people housed in a longer term way. Um, and that's, that's why it's been such a problem when these moratoriums have expired. Uh, people have to figure out how to pay their back rent. People have to figure out, you know, like what their options are if they're unemployed and now facing an eviction court case. How do you find a new place to live? Really to make a difference, to protect people, to keep people in their homes, to deal with the full set of problems that uh, comes along with all of this. The most important thing to be doing is finding ways of ensuring that renters' income is not interrupted and that they are able to make ends meet. Um, so while there are a lot of things that local governments and state governments can and should be doing, things like not allowing uh, paperwork to be filed during moratoriums, things like sealing eviction records and making that just a standard practice, not just now, but in an ongoing way, at least a uh, first or second eviction record. Additionally, you know, it's becoming harder as states face the tax crunch that they're in. Um, but renter assistance that is, you know, more limited one time is better than nothing. All of those will help. Um, the biggest piece of keeping people afloat is the federal government, though. Uh, it's the only institution that has the scale, really, to deal with 30 million to 40 million people in this situation. And it's the only institution that can spend the money that's necessary to spend right now. I've seen a lot of people calling to cancel rent. Is that possible? I mean, it. there's, there's countries that did it. I don't think that it's possible in the political context of the United States or, to be honest, the legal context of the United States. I think that would probably end up stalled in courts. But there is a way better option, which is pay people's rents. We can continue providing the level of unemployment insurance payments that we had been before the end of July. That $600 uh, weekly bonus from the federal government is what kept people afloat. We can also dramatically expand rental assistance at the federal level so that local and state governments are able to absorb the increased costs of dealing with the displacement that will happen, the increase in homelessness that will happen even if we act now. One of the things that you know I think is particularly important is around legal aid. That is one of the things that right now would be most helpful at the state and local level to expand access to legal aid. It's something that foundations have the capacity to support in uh, you know, a shorter term to meet the right now emergency level of need. And it's a volume that's impossible to fully deal with without more resources. Would you say the majority of renters are having trouble accessing legal counsel across the United States? Absolutely. Um, normally, about 10% of renters who are in eviction court have a lawyer. That's it. That's nothing. It's really nothing. And that is one of the biggest factors in whether or not you will succeed. 
is having legal representation who knows how to protect you in ways that you as a non-lawyer just are not educated in all of the laws and regulations needed for that. So we've already seen some court cases take place across the country. And I wanted to ask you, what actions are you seeing local organizers take to stop evictions from happening during this pandemic? It has been both really hard once the moratorium started expiring and really inspiring in that the activism here is sustained, it's creative, it's, you know, pandemic safe. Um, And that is everything from like the LA Tenants Union is a great example. They have been organizing for the past several years around affordability and uh, displacement throughout LA. And now they have really done a ton of work on helping stop evictions, make sure that people stay protected. And you're seeing that with tenant organizing all over the country. One of the things that I think is interesting is where the pressure seems to be most effective. Uh, There are states where governors have continued to step in. Um, There are states where governors are not interested in stepping in and uh, local jurisdictions instead are doing everything they can. And so it's just, it's an uphill battle right now because the policy environment is always difficult for tenants' rights versus landlords' contract and property law, uh, like their advantages in those areas of the law. So as I said, both inspiring and, you know, very difficult Um, I think that one of the things that we will see come out of this is longer term impacts of this activism, and that could be incredibly powerful. So all of these things are tied together, right? The economy, housing, your health. But when so many people are predicted to be evicted and voting happens by mail, does that make it harder to vote? It sure will, because... Not only, you know, do you need to request your ballot very soon, if you need to update your voter registration to do it, that can be a problem in some states. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's just one more hurdle. It's hard to make sure that you've registered to get your absentee ballot when you are trying to navigate not knowing where you're going to live in a few weeks or a few days. It also will make it harder for people to, you know, actually receive ballots uh, once they start going out in the mail because of displacement that's happening, like people doubling up on housing. Do you think it will also make it harder to prioritize voting? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the concept of like cognitive scarcity has, you know, entered a lot of people's consciousness with work on behavioral economics and behavioral psychology over the last decade. And there's been some really influential work looking at how the constant stress of poverty, which is aligned with the constant stress of housing insecurity and experiencing eviction, really does reduce your capacity in the short term to handle other things because it takes up so much brain space. Um, And, you know, it comes with things like chemicals that make it harder to focus and poor sleep and all of that. So I think one of the things that really 
you know, we, we have seen in literature on who does and does not vote in person in normal times. We know that poverty, homelessness, and those similar issues are always in play. And that means that they'll be in play in an even bigger way this time. If you'd like to read more about the eviction research, head to the show notes. Thank you to all the partners who contributed to the research. The COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project, Wake Forest University School of Law, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, University of Arizona College of Law, the Eviction Lab at Princeton University, City Life Vida Urbana, Stout, the National Low Income Housing Coalition, and the Aspen Financial Security Program. Thank you to my colleagues who made this episode possible. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow at Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Thanks for listening.